<coughs> Unless a living entity forgets his real identity, it is impossible for him to live in the material conditions of life. So that kind of sounds like the opposite where, where Lord Chaitanya said, I don't love God, I don't love Krishna. Right? Because if I love Krishna, what did he say? I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. I couldn't exist because, you know, I, the feelings of separation would be so intense I couldn't be in this body. Right? But here, the opposite, right? Unless we forget our real identity, it would be impossible for us to live in the material condition. Therefore, the first condition of material existence is forgetfulness of one's real identity. And what's our real identity? Spirit and? Yeah, Krishna, Jivera, you know, we, we gave a uh, Sunday open house class on this once. Jivera Swarup, that word Swarup. Swarup Ahoya Krishnera Nityadas. So this word Swarup, you know, we, we, we showed, remember we showed pictures of sugar? And the Swarup of sugar is to be sweet. The Swarup of salt, right, is to be salty. If it's, if it's not salty, it's not salt. Or the Swarup of a chili Right? Is to be hot. If it's not hot, it's not really not much of a chili, right? So our swarup, who we our swarup, our essence, the essence of sugar is to be sweet. The essence of salt. So our essence, Jivera Swarupahaya Krishna Nityadas. It's Krishna's das. But so here, the first condition of material existence is forget our real identity. And by forgetting one's real identity, one is sure to be afraid of death. Although the pure living soul is deathless and birthless. Mm. So, um, where are my notes? Oh, I, I forgot to say a few things. I was actually going to give a little over, maybe I'll do this, I'll give a little overview of the chapter first, real quick. So, so we're hearing here about how Lord Brahma creates nescience, right? Then he feels bad that he had to do that. And so then he creates the four Kumaras who have knowledge, right? They have this great. Uh, knowledge, then, they, then he wants them to, exp to have, you know, get married, have kids, and expand the universe, and they say, <laughs> nothing doing, <laughs> right? They, they were too uh, smart for that. So then he gets angry, and Rudra comes out of his, uh, his eyebrows, right? Uh, between his eyebrows, rather. Um, and there's a really great description, which we'll get into, about the Rudra principle, the principle of... Uh, of anger, then Rudra creates all these problematic situations and problematic living entities, and then Lord Brahma says, you know, chill. You can do that, but wait till the dissolution of the universe. So go do some penance and austerities. Uh, then Lord Brahma creates 10 sages. Uh, nine of them are kind of karma-ish, karma yoga, or fruit of activities, Prabhupada says, and one of them is the great, no? Starts with an N. Narada, yes. He creates Narada Muni, and then there's a great description about Narada Muni. Then he creates different states of consciousness, religion coming from his chest, irreligion from Lord Brahma's back. Um, then he creates a daughter that he becomes attracted to. We're going to talk about that. That's, that's uh, interesting. Um, then he creates the four Vedas, Vedic knowledge, Varnashram Dharma, Modes of expression, like poetic meter, and words, and music. And finally, he creates um, Swayambhuvamanu and Satarupa. And then there's a, in one sense, that begins a whole description for many cantos.
Okay, so now we're back to this verse. Um, and it's interesting here that, so for a person who's not spiritually realized, the fear of death is very real. But what is the great fear for a devotee? Yeah, what is our great fear? What should be our great fear? Fall down? Yeah, to forget Krishna. Yeah, which is fall down, yes. That's, that's actually a, a true, so we have to work on that because we may still have some fear in our hearts about other things. But the real fear for an advanced devotee is the fear of forgetting Krishna. Yeah. And getting absorbed in, um, in this world and it was interesting, I was listening to a lecture yesterday about you, how many times, you're probably familiar with Srila Prabhupada using the frame uh, family, what is it, society, friendship, and love? Have you seen that in his writings? He used that, yeah? I didn't know where it came from, but it, uh, then he, he quotes the next verse, it's actually from a poem written in the 1800s by a famous poet, I'll try to find it later. Friendship, he just says that if we get absorbed in society, friendship, and love, and what he means by that is the material part of it, then, you know, uh, Krishna, we forget Krishna. Just like shravanam, uh, kirtanam, vishnu, smaranam. So like eatinam, sleepinam, Krishna, forgettinam. Right? Like that. <clears throat> so that's our fear. This false identification with material nature is a cause of false ownership of things which are offered by the arrangement of superior control. And listen to this sentence. All material resources are offered to the living entity. So we're offered material resources for his peaceful living and for the discharge of the duties of self-realization and conditioned life. But due to false identification, the conditioned soul becomes entrapped by the sense of false ownership of the property of the Supreme Law. So we have things in this world. We, I'm sure probably everyone here came here by a car. So we have a car, right? We have, most of us have an apartment or a house, unless anyone here uh, you know, sleeps under the stars, right? Um, we have these things, but here, and, and Srila Prabhupada says these are offered to us for peaceful living, for getting on with life. But then he warns us about the false identification with them. In the, in the fifth canto, it says, Janasya Mohoyam Aham Mameti. Thinking in terms of Aham, I, and Mameti, mine. Now, the best example I could think of this, of think, to maybe this is helpful for anyone here who's ever uh, leased a car instead of own a car. Okay, so my wife's toy, uh, Prius is leased, and we have to return it in, I think, two months from now. Right, so that, I don't know if this is a good analogy. You let me, tell me what you think, okay? So, um, when you lease a car, you're responsible for it for a particular time, but you actually don't own it. When the, when the 24 months or the 36 months are up, you have to give it back, and you have to give it back in good condition, right? But for that time, you can use it, although there's even rules of how you use it, either 12,000 miles a year or 15,000 miles, or even 18,000 if you pay more, right? But there's some rules about how to use it, otherwise you get in trouble. So similarly, we get material things in this world, right? They're not our permanent possessions. There's nothing in this world is permanent. Yet they're given for our use as long as we use them responsibly. 
So that was my analogy of the day, <laughs> I guess, because I was thinking about it, because uh, uh, probably some of you know Chaitanya Bhagavan Prabhu. So he, I, uh, he uh, is a manager at the uh, Toyota dealership. So he, we, we were talking just the other day about I have to return the car and he's going to help me do that and all that. Um, so, so that's, so we have, but the false identification, if my wife starts thinking, I'm not going to return this Toyota to, to the ownership, to the dealership, I've been using this, this is mine. I've had this for three years now. You know, what is it? 90% uh, uh, is, what is it? Possession is 90% of the law. Right? She may misquote that and say, this is mine. What's going to happen? One day somebody's going to knock on the door and you're going to see the tow truck and the Toyota is going back to the dealership, right? And she's going to be fined. So similarly here, um, the false identification with material nature is the cause of false ownership of things. And they actually, they, they, they are the property of the Supreme Lord. Because what's the ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We come in this world with nothing, right? We have nothing. We don't have any clothes, right? We've got, we've got to put a diaper on us and all that stuff. And then we leave the world with nothing. And in between, we think we own so much. So we can use those things. It's not that we're like a, the impersonalist thing. Okay, therefore, nothing. We don't have to change our... Uh, our um, Levi's to uh, tree bark, or whatever, or dodi to tree bark, or, or sorry. Um, but, we, but we use things in the right consciousness. And we take good care of them, just like my wife has to take good care of the Prius, or else she gets in trouble. So we take good care of things, knowing that we're not the ultimate proprietor of them. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur would say, right, that manasa deho geha kuyo that... Uh, and he considered that the house that he was living in to be owned by Krishna. And he was like a servant in that house taking care of it. So, that's, so there's, there's more to this purport. So that's about, so we've covered uh, self-deception, sense of death, uh, sense of false ownership. It is evident from this verse that Brahma himself is a creation of the Supreme Lord. And the five kinds of nescience, what does nescience mean? Ignorance, very good. I never knew that word before I became a devotee, but I saw it so often I had to look it up and figure out what it meant. <clears throat> Which condition the living entities and material existence are created by Brahma. It is simply ludicrous to think the living entity to be equal with the supreme being when one can understand that the conditioned souls, that the conditioned souls are under the influence of Brahma's magic wand. Isn't that nice? <laughs> so, you know, just like we know abracadabra, right? Or with uh, Harry Potter, you, you create so many things, right? So Brahma has his magic wand by which he creates the universe as we see it. It's a real, much more powerful than Harry Potter's magic wand. So some thoughts on this? Yes, but, oh, we need a microphone? Where is it? Oh, it's way over yonder. And then there's one last sentence, but we'll get into that. It's about Patanjali. Yes, Prabhu? Uh, about the analogy you gave, the uh, car. The car, uh, okay. Lease. Was it a good analogy? <laughs> it's, it's a good analogy. Uh, so my, uh, my thoughts were like, uh, is it something that we should take care without attachment? Uh, if there is an attachment, the care comes. Uh, and 
so basically we we, sh we should do take care without any attachment is that the right way of uh, approaching things in our body and like you know all the things around us y yes <laughs> um in the sense that uh and that famous verse by Rupa Goswami uh, explains this quite well. Anashaktasya vishayan yartaham upayunjita nirbanda krishna sambande yukta vairagya uchite. So um, detachment in most, remember we've given this example before, in most spiritual practices, yeah, it's a two-step process. You have, to, you have to put down the material, detach yourself from the material, and then pick up the spiritual. But in, in bhakti, when one picks up the spiritual, one automatically drops the material. It's a one-step process. So our detachment is, um, um, is attachment to Krishna. So therefore, let's use the example of a car, right? So we take really good care of our, we should take really good care of our cars. Our car should be clean, in, they should be sattvic, they should be clean inside, because we're Christian, you know, we're using it in Krishna's service. But we understand that ultimately this, is, you know, I'm the, I'm the uh, caretaker of the material things, but they actually belong to Krishna. So our house should be very nicely maintained, our, you know, our clothing should be clean and neat, right, and all those things, but not, in, but in the, in the sense that, all in the sense that I'm a servant of Krishna. Also, since you use the word detachment, there's a, there's a difference between these two words, vairagya and viraktir. Okay? And vairagya indicates, uh, they both can sometimes be translated as detachment, but they have a different consciousness. Uh, vairagya is when you kind of uh, forcibly, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I got to give up sense gratification. I'm not, I don't want to look at that beautiful thing or this or that, right? Um, and so it's a, it's a real effort. Uh, to control one's senses, right, and one's mind. Viraktir is when we're so attached to Krishna. The word viraktir indicates indifference, right? So we're just like indifferent to the attractions of this world. They just don't, they don't um, make sense. It's just like when I first moved to India. I lived in India for 21 years. Uh, and when I first moved there, of course, I usually traveled... Um, uh, second class, and that third, third class was too much because you get like, you're like a sardine in the train, right? The second class was still, you know, everyone's talking, um, not AC usually, so just what do they call it, regular second class, right? Um, and so everyone's, you know, the, eating their paratas and sabji and all that and talking, and it's all in Hindi, generally, because I lived in UP. Um, and so I didn't understand Word, especially in the first. Now, you know, when after 21 years, I could catch a lot of the words and follow a conversation. But in the beginning, it was just like you know, white noise, right? It was just like, and I couldn't understand a word of it, right? Um, so I was very um, kind of indifferent to it because it just didn't. I did. It didn't make any sense. So for a devotee, also sense gratification just doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to turn your back on Krishna like that, right? But when we're not in such clear Krishna consciousness, then we have to kind of enforceably, oh, you know, don't look at that Maya, right? So, um, so your point was about detachment. So, our, so our, our, we, we do 
follow four regulated principles and, and we do try to avoid situations, we're going to talk about that later, about Lord Brahma, um, that can bring out the mode of passion and ignorance in us. But our main focus is, take, is, is focusing on Krishna. And then, you know, the second chapter of the Gita, the Param Dristva, the higher taste just replaces the lower taste. Is that all right? Yes. Okay, so you remember that, Vairagya and Viraktir. Two different words. That, uh, anything else? I just wanted to, um, I, I was, uh, when you were discussing about the time, time. how, how uh, death and disease, I mean, for devotee, how it is uh, not limiting. So I was reminded about the verse in Canto, I mean, Canto 1, Chapter 2, both by rising and setting That's chap of sun. Canto 2, Chapter 1, you got it the other, you were dyslexic, <laughs> yeah. I'm getting confused. So both by... Um, Rising, Rising and setting Sorry. of the sun diminishes the life, reduces the life, except for devotees or one who is engaged in glorifying Supreme yes. Personality of Godhead. Yes. Uttama Shloka Gunanu Varnam. One who is, uh, is Gunana, the, singing the qualities and glories of, of, uh, of Krishna who is glorified by choice words. Very and nice. We are talking about devotional life here. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Like, Very good. Thank Krishna. you. So shall we move on to the third? Okay, so the third verse is uh, also one that we said we were going, that was part of your assignment. Seeing such a misleading creation as a sinful task. So he didn't want to do it. Right? He had to create these five illusions. Oh, I'm sorry. There was one other thing I thought. Uh, the last sentence says, Patanjali also accepts that there are five kinds of nescience as mentioned herein. So I wrote to uh, Hari Kirtan Prabhu, who's a Patanjali, he just wrote a book on Patanjali, and I asked him about this, and so he wrote me um, some description. He says, yes, Srila Prabhupada is referring to what Patanjali calls the five kleshas, uh, inflictions that prevent the experience of yoga, or more commonly translated as obstacles to yoga. So avidya, ignorance, asmita, egoism, raga, attachment or cravings, Dvesha, aversion, and abhi, abhini vesha, clinging to life or fear of death. The specific sutra is at Sadhanapad, chapter 2, sutra 3, often indicated as USP 2.3. There you go. So, a little more details. Okay, now we're going to chapter, text 3. Well, fear of death, yes. Abhi, yes, number 5. Seeing such a misleading creation as a sinful task, Brahma did not feel much pleasure in his activity, and therefore he purified himself by meditating on the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Thus he began another term of creation. Prabhupada writes, Although he created the different influence of nescience, Lord Brahma was not satisfied in performing such a thankless task, but he had to do it because most of the conditioned souls wanted it to be so. So the first, this is... Definitely uh, something that we can probably relate to, that um, uh, sometimes we have to do things we don't really like to do. It, it, it's our duty, right? I mean, how many like to get up on Monday morning to go to work? Anyone raise their hand? No, okay. But, you know, we have to do, we have our duties to perform and maintain our family and things like that. Um, and in devotional service, 
we really try to control our mind and not, dif- not make a differentiation, right? Just like if in Brindavan, the, anyone know the color of the tiles in Brindavan on the, uh, the marble? There's two colors. Anyone know what they are? Correct. You must have remembered when you paid obeisances to the deities. Yes, white and black, right? So Srila Prabhupada made this point very... And who, who are the central deities? And what are their color? What, are the, what is the color of the marble? White and black, right? Krishna's black marble, Balaram's white marble. So he made the point that don't think that dressing the deities and offering arti to the deities is a greater service than mopping the floor of the deities, which is also white and black, <laughs> right? So, 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 because we some of us might think, well, I'll be a pujari, but. Don't ask me to clean the floor. I'm a Brahmin. Can't ask me to do that. Don't ask me to clean the bathrooms for sure. Right? Um, but this is actually the difference between karma yoga and bhakti yoga. I mean, it's karma yoga that leads to bhakti, but still, um, when uh, a brief little description, there's, there's something called sakam karma yoga, where you, you want to serve Krishna, but you have two attachments still. You're attached to what you do, and the, wait a sec, uh, the consciousness and the work itself, right? You, you want you'll do this for Krishna, but let me, let me see. I want to make sure I get this right. Um, you're attached. No, I'm sorry. You're attached to the fruits, and you're attached to the kind of work. So then, nishkam karma yoga means without nishkam means without material desires. So you're no longer attached to the fruits but you still would do this for Krishna and not so much do that for Krishna. And then the pure bhakti is whatever guru says, whatever Krishna says, I'll do that. Sweep the floor, yes. Dress the deities, yes. Right, whatever, just yes man, or yes person, right? Um, and this has implications, right? A person who is a sakam person attached to the fruits and the kind of work, best that they don't live in an ashram that they, 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 they live in a house and they're a householder, they make their house an ashram and, and, come, and you know, come to the temple and worship. For one who's nishkam, that's a little better because they're not attached to the, attached to the fruits, so living in an ashram. But the best thing is the devotee who just says, yes, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do for Krishna. And that's the difference between chapter 9, verse 26 of the Gita and 927. 926, patram pushpam phalam toyam, offer me... A leaf, a flower, fruit, or water, and the word bhakti is mentioned twice. So that Krishna says, "Do this. This is what I want," and the devotee says, "Yes, sir." And the next verse says, "Whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you offer, whatever you give away, do that as an offering unto me." So that's called uh, karma yoga because you're going to do those things. So after, why you're going to you're going to do them anyway? Krishna may or may not ask you. You're going to do it. Do it for Krishna. Anyway, it's a subtle difference. But here you can see Lord Brahma, he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to have to put all these people in illusion and create fear of death. And, but it was part of his service to Krishna. So he did the thankless task. Okay. Any qu- thoughts on that? Okay, so the next point. Um, Krishna says in the Gita that he is present in everyone's heart, helping everyone to either remember or forget. The question may be raised why the Lord, who is all-merciful, 
helps one remember and another to forget. Actually, his mercy is not exhibited in partiality towards one and enmity towards another. The living entity as a part and parcel of the Lord is partially independent because he is partially possesses all the qualities of the Lord. Anyone who has some independence may sometimes misuse it due to ignorance. When the living entity prefers to misuse his ignorance and glide down to nescience, the all-merciful Lord first of all tries to protect him from the trap, but when the living entity persists in gliding to hell, the Lord helps him to forget his real position. So... Um, <laughs> This is, um, brings up, if you remember the, the talks we've had on the Gita values, or the Gita principles. So remember one of the Gita principles is Icha. What does that mean? Icha. I'm probably pronouncing it badly. Yeah, desire or, or choice. Choice. So here, Prabhupada, we have this choice, right? And then Samadarshina. Remember that's mentioned in the Gita a lot. It's one of the six principles. Right, so Krishna's seeing everyone equally. He says, Samaham Sarvabhuteshu. Right, he's, he sees everyone equally, but we may not reciprocate with him equally. And the other one is, um, what was the last one? Uh, Priti, that Krishna actually has uh, uh, devotion, has love for all living entities, even those that are uh, disobedient, that he wants to bring them back to him. I was thinking about the, the first point, though, a little bit more. I had some other notes on it. That um, in one song, Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, right? If what gives me the greatest pain gives you the greatest pleasure, then Krishna, that's my greatest pleasure. And if something uh, gives you the greatest pain, wait, no, the other way around, you, you understand <laughs> the point, right? So this, is, so this is redefining what pleasure is. And I was just literally, as I was bringing my car in the driveway here, uh, Prabhupada was saying on, on a lecture that uh, he was explaining the word uh, Chinmayananda, right? And he was saying, uh, he's saying, we don't understand that the, the happiness in devotion to Krishna, he says, it goes on, then he says, and on, and on, and on, like that, he keeps, you know, increasing. So when we can, so it, part of devotional service, part of the whole process is redefining what happiness is. Because almost everyone has the idea that happiness is connecting the senses with the sense objects and having peace of mind and all of these things. But real happiness is in pouring water on the root and pleasing Krishna and then he reciprocates in a way that just is uh, indescribable. And therefore, we're here today, right? You know, we wouldn't, you know, uh, devotees give up a lot, you could think, you could say, to try to practice bhakti, uh, following the regulated principles and getting up early in the morning and things like that. But it's not, when I, when I tell people at work, yeah, I've been meditating for two hours a day for the last 43 years. Yeah, I get up at four in the morning, you know. They're like, oh, how do you do that? That's impossible. You know, I don't tell them about the four regular principles. I would like, <laughs> they know I'm vegetarian. You know, but <laughs> and they actually, they know, they know about some of them. They know I wouldn't gamble or, uh, 
take intoxication. <clears throat> the sex thing, I probably wouldn't, would, they'd have a little challenge understanding. Um, but, for, but for a devotee who's feeling the reciprocation with Krishna, it's like, phew, what's the problem? Right? When we're not in such good consciousness, then it's like, oh, it's a struggle. But when we're in good consciousness, it's like, because you know, we're feeling that, that higher taste. So it's actually really important to get a higher taste. <clears throat> so this is, uh, this is important to try to redefine what pleasure is, that real pleasure is in our loving relationship with God, and therefore with God's devotees also. So some thoughts either on redefining or on... Uh, Yes, Mataji. So for that everlasting happiness we studied, is it Sundarananda Well, Ultimately it's Sundarananda Visheshatma. Mataji is talking about in the Nectar of Devotion, there's on three different levels, sadhana, bhava, and prema, three different levels of bhakti, there's definitions of happiness. What's the first one? Jiva, you remember? It had to do with klesha. Klesha. Yeah, kleshagni. Kleshagni. Right. And then the second one is um, minimizing impersonalism. What, what was the Sanskrit? Uh, it, 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 it's so much, you get so much more happiness than Brahman realization. Yeah, so we have six characteristics yeah. of devotional service. But three of them deal with happiness yeah. on each level. Everlasting yeah. And then happiness. you're quoting the highest one, Sundarananda Visheshatma. And the example that's given is like trying to put influence steel with water. You just can't steal it such an element that no water, it's not like a sponge, right? So no ideas of happiness in this world could enter a person who's on prema. They're just totally feeling the happiness of spiritual life, which is unending and, you know. And I think we all know the, the challenges of trying to be exclusively happy in this world. I mean, you know, little from little things to big things. A little thing today, I had to, the, uh, in the middle of the night, the smoke alarm went off just because the battery was low. So, you know, getting the chair and, uh, you know, <laughs> doing the battery. And then it, it has a backup still, right? So that's taking that out and then going on, the, you know, going on Amazon in the morning, ordering nine volt battery. You know, just a little thing like that, right? Or, you know, the, the indicator, actually, my wife's Prius says that one of the, air, the tires is low. So I go to a... Uh, um, I didn't have enough quarters to put it, you know, because it, when, when I was a kid, we did, you know, air was free at <laughs> gas stations, right? <laughs> you know, just even little things like that. What to speak of big things, like, like your daughter's sur surgery tomorrow, that's a big thing, right? And we're all hoping that everything is successful with that, but it's, a, it's you know, so this world is not, even every time you think, okay, I got it kind of okay, you know, just like, um, where I work uh, in, for the U.S. government, there's some people who have really good retirement plans. You know, if, if they, anyway, I won't get into the details, but some of them are making over, will be making over six figures uh, in retirement. You know? um, but that, but you know, that doesn't mean there's not going to be cancer or you know, car accident or whatever. Or, you, know, it's, it's, you can't just think, okay, now I can retire the sunset years of our life. But actually, we all know, <clears throat> we learn either from Shastra or from seeing relatives that it's, it's, the sunset years are not so uh, glorious. 
right? There, there's, uh, getting old is uh, not for the uh, weak-hearted, right? Because, uh, you know, things... Yes, Prabhu, a microphone? Um, the discussion is just bringing one nice verse to mind in the Gita where Krishna says, if we just give up things, then we'll wind up with suffering. Dukam aptama yogata. Hmm. But if we're thoughtful, yoga yukto manir brahma, then we'll get him. Very good. So, yeah, reconciling everyone's questions. What chapter is that? Uh, chapter 5, it's either, I think it's text 8 or text 11. One okay. of those two texts. So if you just try to give up stuff, you'll wind up suffering worse. <laughs> but if you're thoughtful, if you're a muni, how to be yogata, how to connect things with Krishna, as you pointed out through a couple of verses, then quickly you'll get him. Right, right. Yeah, the, the, in, um, what's that, Ikendra Prabhu's, one of his songs about the mode of passion. Uh, oh, I gave away everything that I owned, but the mode of passion wouldn't leave me alone. The next day, I lamented, tried to get it all back, and everybody told me, tough luck, Jack. <laughs> so, yes. Okay, so let's go. We're not getting very far, but we only have um, those. We only have, I think, like four more verses that we said for work, for homework. So we're, we'll breeze through. In the beginning, Brahma created four great sages. Namely, Sanat, Sananda, isn't that terrible? I think I just swallowed a bug. I hate when that happens. I'm supposed to be a vegetarian. Sanatan and Sanakumar. All of them were unwilling to adopt materialistic activities because they were highly elevated due to their semens flowing upwards. That's called Urdhva Retasaha, right? Brahma spoke to his sons after generating them. My dear sons, now generate progeny, haha. <laughs> but due to their being attached to Vasudev, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, they aimed at liberation, and therefore they expressed their unwillingness. And the purport prophet said, generally you have to follow your father's instructions. But if you're so attached to Krishna, uh, then you, know, you don't have any other debts in this world. I remember that, that was a verse that, uh, you know, this was the 70s, of course, but uh, so I was uh, trying to decide whether to move into the ashram and uh, at that time drop out of school, actually. Um, and I was telling, uh, actually, it was Badri Narayan Prabhu, now he's Maharaj. I said, you know, my mother's going to really be upset. And then he quoted the, this verse that, you know, Devarshi, what is that? How does that go? It's quoted here. Devarshi Bhutatna Nirtim Pripin. Uh, Petrinam, that when you take shelter of Krishna, you have no more obligations in this world. Of course, if, you're, if your parents are devotees or friendly, like your parents are such nice people, then it's not a problem. On the refusal of the sons to obey the order of their father, there was much anger generated in the mind of Brahma, which he tried to control and not express. So you ever tried to... Keep, my, keep anger under control, not so easy, right? So he tried, although he tried to curb, curb his anger, it came out from between his eyebrows, and a child mixed blue and red was immediately generated. After his birth, he began to cry, O destiny maker, teacher of the universe, kindly designate my name and place. 
The all-powerful Brahma, who was born from the lotus flower, pacified the boy with gentle words, accepting his request, and said, Do not cry. I shall certainly do as you desire. Therefore, Brahma said, O chief of the demigods, you shall be called by the name Rudra, by all people, because you have so anxiously cried. My dear boy, I have already selected the following places for your residence. The heart, the senses, the air of life, the sky, the air, the fire, the water, the earth, the sun, the moon, and austerity. Now this is a very interesting purport. So Rudra is often compared to Lord Shiva, right? Equated with Lord Shiva. So the creation of Rudra from between the eyebrows of Brahma as a result of his anger, generated from the mode of passion partially touched by ignorance is very significant. In Bhagavad Gita 337, the principle of Rudra is described. Kroda is the product of kama, lust, which is, the res uh, which is the result of mode of passion. When lust and hankering are unsatisfied, the element of krodha, anger, appears, which is the formidable energy of the conditioned soul. The most sinful and inimical passion is represented as a hankara, or the false egocentric attitude of thinking oneself to be all in all. Um, the egocentric attitude is manifest of the Rudra principle in the heart, wherein Kroda is generated. This anger develops in the heart and is further manifested through various senses like the eyes, hands, and legs. When a man is angry, he expresses his anger with red-hot eyes and sometimes makes a display of clinching his fists or kicking his legs. So, you know, the, uh, just as the, uh, what is the face is the index of the mind, we hear that saying? So, you, you know, we, we, no, we naturally do this. You can read a lot in body language, isn't it? Matter of fact, you know, in, in a face-to-face -face understanding of a person's emotions, you only get, these are rough things, but 7% of understanding someone's emotions by the words they say, and 38% by how they say it, the tone of voice but 55% by the body language. So here Prabhupada is confirming that, that you know, you can... Uh, and so anger is very hard to not show, right? They say lust is a little more subtle. You know, you can be, you know, checking out somebody of the opposite sex with your eyes and, you know, you're trying to play it really cool, right? And sometimes, you know, go undetected. But anger is very hard to hide. Right? Uh, well, this is a little different, but John Lennon once wrote a song, one thing you can't hide is when you're crippled inside. <laughs> so anyway, um, anger is very hard to, to not show, and it manifests, clenching fists. Some people grunt, you know, grit their teeth, right? You know, make faces and things like this. So um, it's very, it's harder to, it manifests yeah, through the body. <clears throat> when a man is angry, he, uh, he expresses such, uh, whoa, 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 sorry, this exhibition of the Rudra principle is the proof uh, of Rudra's presence in such places. So actually Rudra is affecting us at that time. How else? When a man is angry, he breathes very rapidly. You ever see that? Another. And thus Rudra is represented in the air of life or in the activities of breathing. Right? You see someone's really angry? <sighs> Gotta get that guy. When the sky is overcast with dense clouds and roars in anger, and when the wind blows very fiercely, the Rudra principles manifest. So hurricanes, tornadoes, right? Those are, this is a manifest, external manifestation of the Rudra principle. Okay. 
Anyone ever been in really, really bad weather? Where? Florida hurricane? Oklahoma tornado? Yeah, what else happens in Oklahoma? <laughs> Oil and hurricane <laughs> and Indian reservations. And you were in a hurricane in Florida? Wow. Anyone else? And what happened? Almost no, because of thunderstorm. Yeah, sometimes the rain is so hard. Yeah. Yes. They just. I was in Denver recently, and there was a, there was hailstones the size of golf balls, and it, they they had to close a mall until November. It was so bad, and and like, tens of thousands of cars were dented, you know, you know, because these were golf ball size, and people's roofs, it, you know just from like 10 minutes of a hailstorm. The Rudra principle at work. Yes, you had an experience also? Uh, 2002 in July, we actually had a hailstorm like that. And uh, we were at work and everybody was asked to just stand beside the walls and nobody leave the yeah. building and all the cars were dented. And we mm -hmm. had so many storms, like almost 2005, 2007, I can remember, yeah. where the lights went out. We have experience that even at the temple, the lights went out for like weeks. That's right, that's right, the lights were out for weeks. When the lights go out for me, I just feel like, oh, I'm back in India, you know. <laughs> what else is new? <laughs> um, the earthquake here, even the earthquake here, I mean, up until like a few months ago, is it still there? Or I think it was taken off a few months ago, the scaffolding on the uh, National Cathedral. The, that scaffolding was up for years due to a 10-minute earthquake. I, I was here, it was on Prabhupada's disappearance day, right? And, and it was funny, because I, I experienced it, we all experienced it, right? And for me, as a person who grew up in New York, it felt just like when you're walking down the sidewalk and the subways are going underneath. So I, I at first I just like, oh. But then I realized I wasn't in New York <laughs> and there was no subway underneath me. <laughs> so this is all the Rudra principle. And then it goes on. Uh, Prabhupada goes on. Uh, when the seawater is infuriated by the winds, it appears, this is another, so the tsunami, I don't know, I was in, in, in India with the tsunami in, in Chennai. Terrible, terrible destruction. Um, uh, fires, just like the fire that happened in London just the other day. Another manifestation of the Rudra principle. So these are all, Manif external manifestations of the Rudra principle. Then Prabhupada goes on to say, uh, certain animals like a snake. That's you. Right? Just like we had a copperhead here, in the, uh, someone saw recently. Not that they don't, uh, they anyway, I was going to say, they don't actually kill you, don't worry. But they, it's no fun to get uh, bitten by one. But um, yeah, the snakes, I, I remember uh, being in South India and running into a, a viper, I think it was. Those are really poisonous, right? Or on Balaram's appearance day in Vrindavan, there was actually beautiful, but um, cobra, about eight feet long. Right? And when he stood up, it was just like, wow. <laughs> I was on the roof of my house <laughs> looking down. I wasn't taking any chances. <laughs> Dean of Underpoo was playing like shuffleboard with him and whisking him out of the property. <laughs> so, but but the, I could see even from being on the roof, the fear. So these are all the Rudra principle. Very, very powerful. Very, very powerful. Use the mic.
Sorry, I, I really wanted to ask this question. Um, so when we talked about miseries due to natural, I mean, disasters. Mm -hmm. There's Aryatmic, so, so the Rudra principle covers, uh, is covered under that? The I don't know. I, I, never may, I never studied anywhere where the connection is there, but there's obviously some connection with the, uh, the Adi Daivik and the Rudra principle, yes. But you can see it also can be Aryatmic, right? Because humans can be affected by the Rudra principle. So maybe it covers, it's a, a uh, non-discriminatory principle that covers all the kleshas, <laughs> all, the, all the difficulties. Anything else on verse 11? Yes, Gurdas, Prabhu. Um, it seems like in our so-called civilized society, the more someone is or considers themselves civilized, the more they try to hide their anger. Um, do you, That's good, isn't it? If one hides his anger and uh, doesn't let it show, but it's still manifesting somewhere, or it builds. Well, as long up. as he doesn't then take out a knife and slash your tires, you know. But in other words, it's good. It, it's it is. You're right. It's it's a sign of civility to try to curb our anger, for sure. But if we just try to hide it, and then it, man it comes out in another way worse, <laughs> then that's not good. It's like, you know, okay, so I'll be civil, I won't kill somebody, but I will pay somebody else to kill them. So we should not suppress it, we should manage it somehow. We should overcome it, is usually the word that we use, but we should uh, replace it uh, with Krishna consciousness, or sometimes dovetail it that we can also do that carefully, but ang get angry at people who are actually doing harm to others or, or blaspheming Krishna or his devotees. Right? Arjuna had to get a little angry to do his duty. Right? Hare One Krishna. sense. Hare Krishna. Yes. So, uh, actually we can take the example from Rudra himself and there were 11 of them and they started doing so much destruction. Lord Brahma, you know, yeah, he asked, specified. <laughs> he and said. then meditation is what, you know, meditating on the Supreme Lord. Yeah. And uh, Lord Shiva, he meditates on Sankarshan. Right. So that's how he controls his Yes, energy. that's right. So we should get to that. We're going to get to that now. Because basically what, what Brahma said, okay, you're getting get too heavy here. Uh, Rudra, go chant your rounds. <laughs> Basically, what he said. So, so we can uh, take that. <laughs> go chant your rounds. <laughs> um, Lord Brahma said, My dear boy, Rudra, you have 11 other names Manu, Manu, Man, Mahinasa, Mahan, Shiva, uh, Ritadvaja, Ugra, Reta, Bhava, Kala, Vamandev, and Dhritavrata. Oh, Rudra, you also have 11 wives called the Rudranis. And they are as follows, Di, Driti, Rasala, Uma, Niyut, Sarpi, Ila, Ambika, Iravati, uh, Swadha, and Diksha. My dear boy, you may now accept all the names and places designated for you and your different wives. And since you are now one of the masters of the living entities, you may increase the population on a large scale. 
The most powerful Rudra, whose bodily color was blue mixed with red, created many offspring exactly resembling him in features, strength, and furious natures. Ouch. The sons and grandsons generated by Rudra were unlimited in number, and when they assembled together, they attempted to devour the entire universe. When Brahma, the father of the living entity, saw this, he became afraid of the situation. Brahma told Rudra, O best among the demigods, there is no need for you to generate living entities of this nature. They have begun to devastate everything on all sides with the fiery flames from their eyes, and they have even attacked me. <laughs> oh, my dear son, you have better situate yourself in penance. This is where he says, go chant your rounds. <laughs> um, which is auspicious for all living entities and which will bring all benediction unto you. By penance only shall you be able to create the universe as it was before. By penance only can one even approach the personality of Godhead, who is, in, who is within the heart of every living entity, and at the same time beyond the reach of all senses. Sri Maitreya said, so now Maitreya is speaking, thus Rudra, who's Maitreya speaking to? Very good. So these are conversations within conversations. Thus, thus Rudra, having been ordered by Brahma, circumambulated his father, the master of the Vedas, Accepting him with words of assent, he entered the forest to perform austere penances. Brahma, who was empowered by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, thought of generating living entities and begot ten sons for the extension of the generations. Marichi, Atri, Angira, Pulasya, Pulaha, Kratu, Brighu, Vashishta, Daksha, and the tenth son, Narada, were thus born. Narada was born from the deliberation of Brahma, which is the best part of the body. Vashishta was born from his breathing, Daksha from a thumb, Brigu from his touch, and Kratu from his hand. Pulasya was generated from the ears, Angira from the mouth, Atsri from the eyes, Marichi from the mind, and Pulaha from the navel of Brahma. Religion was manifested um, from the breast of Brahma, wherein is seated the Supreme Personality of God in Narayan, and irreligion appeared from his back, where horrible death takes place for the living entity. Lust and desire became manifest from the heart of Brahma, angry from between his eyebrows, greed from between his lips, the power of speaking from his mouth, the ocean from his penis, and low and abominable activities from his anus, the source of all sins. So this was one of the verses we had to study, right? So Prabhupada writes, a conditioned soul is under the influence of mental speculation. That means that they, they follow their mind. However great one may be in the estimation of material education and learning, he cannot be free from the influence of psychic activities. Therefore, it is very difficult to give up lust and the desire for low activities until one is in the line of devotional service to the Lord. When one is frustrated in lust and low desires, anger is generated from the mind expressed from between the eyebrows. Ordinary men are therefore advised to concentrate the mind by focusing on the place between the eyebrows, whereas devotees of the Lord are already practiced to place the Supreme Personality of Godhead on the seat of their minds. So I did a little research on this, because um, Prabhupada said that ordinary people were asked to, were suggested to um, focus, where is it? Uh, concentrate the mind by focusing between the eyebrows. 
so, oops, did I lose it? Oh yeah, this is, so this is called in Sanskrit, Jangama uh, Dhyan. Okay? It's a meditation process which has been practiced by various sages over the centuries. In modern days, it has been used uh, by people like Shiva Bala Yogi uh, and others. Um, uh, Jangama means external existence and Dhyana means meditation. Uh, so it has its origins in the Yoga Sutras. Um, and there's even the, the, this uh, Bhagavad Gita, of course, talks about shutting off the senses and focusing, right, between the eyebrows. And I think that's the sixth chapter of the Gita, right? Uh, Ram Krishna, he uh, spoke a lot about this and uh, calling it Nirvikalpa Samadhi, or bringing the mind to complete standstill beyond any kind of imagination. So that, as Prabhupada writes here, may be recommended for the ordinary person, but actually, not really, because it's very hard to do. But to develop our love for Krishna, to hear about his pastimes, to chant his holy names, to take prasadam, these are so much easier. We don't know how good we have it. Right? We don't know how good we have it. So here it says that, no, we should practice to play, place the Lord in the seat of our minds. The, and then the theory of becoming desireless is untenable because the mind can not be made desireless. So it's just a question of, so it's trying, you're trying to, you know, you have material desires here, spiritual desires here, and you try to find some middle ground, right, where you just no desires, but good luck. Right? It is not easy to do. It is not easy to do. And then Prabhupada says, even if a person is endowed with the favor of the goddess of learning, right? They're very smart. They're very sharp. It doesn't mean that they are free from lust or material desires. Right? You can see that, right? That, that, you know, people may be a Nobel laureate professor, but it doesn't mean that in their private lives, uh, you know, they can even give up smoking, perhaps, or something like that. Not to criticize, but, you know, just that that's, uh, it's not easy to walk our talk. Um, anything on this? Yes? So, I'm reminded of the incident, like, when we say chant, you know, and Shira Prabhupada shared that uh, incident where wife is telling husband, chant, 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 and the husband is saying, can't, can't, can't. So sometimes materialists, when we tell them about meditation, they're immediately like, they're ready to sit and yeah. try to do that, which is very hard to do, but chanting is very hard. So they say, so there was one reporter, he asked Shira Prabhupada, how can you just keep chanting? So what about recreation? Shira Prabhupada's response was, our whole movement is recreation. Chanting, dancing, eating. Chanting, dancing, yeah. eating. It's a cyclic in nature. So the whole, it's a perception. How you look at that mm -hmm. same activity from different perception makes a gulf of difference. Yes. And for the sadhu, usually uh, exercise means walking. As Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur mentions in the sixth chapter of the Gita. And Prabhupada walks so fast. He's, you know, he's, I mean, I, it's, it's interesting because Prabhupada actually wasn't, physically wasn't very tall, but he seemed like a giant to the devotees. 
And he could, you know, and he was in his 70s and the devotees were in their 20s and they were having trouble keeping up with him as he was walking. <laughs> yes, Gurdas. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. It works. Thank you. Um, so uh, many, many devotees would approach Prabhupada uh, uh, regarding the chanting and, and ask uh, Srila Prabhupada about uh, shouldn't we be keeping an image of Lord Krishna in our minds as we chant? And Prabhupada's answer was uh, almost uniformly, no, just hear the sound. That's the main thing, to hear the sound. It's also very good to uh, chant in front of Tulsi Devi because Krishna is always attracted to Tulsi, so he's there present where Tulsi is. Yeah. And also, I think it's also Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur said, it's sometimes good to um, have the words in front of you and you're actually kind of reading along as you're chanting because it focuses the mind. So there's different techniques. But the main thing, like you said, is to hear. Yeah. Doesn't mind reside in all of our senses? So that does the way, mind decide? Mind, where does mind reside? Where does the mind reside? Uh, yeah, it isn't it in all of our senses? So when we do shravanam, so actually the mind is also getting engaged there. Yes, that's isn't Prabhupada's it? point. Yes, between the uh, we tend to think mind somewhere here with thinking, but really, I, I can't quote it really, but. Somewhere it's mentioned, I think, that it's, it's the residing place is all senses, mind. It's so, the, you know, where Krishna says, manasastan indriyani prakritir stani karsatir. He's, he says the six senses, which includes the mind. Yes. It's so in Bhagavad Gita, chapter 6, is it? Manasastan indriyani prakritir. About mind, uncontrolled. Oh, that's, well, there's different places. So also at the end of the third chapter or second chapter, where he, you know, okay. above the... Um, about the senses of the mind, about the senses of the intelligence, about yeah. the senses is, is, is So earlier, when you were explaining, when you said that if the seat of the mind, you know, devotees, uh, you mentioned something just a few minutes back, if, uh, so that way we can always remember. The um, considering Krishna to be at the seat of the mind. Did I say that? What did you say? You just... The seat of the mind? Yes, something you said like 10 minutes back with reference to seat of the mind. Well, am I, was I living in a parallel universe when I was... <laughs> well, the mind is a subtle element, right? And as such, when we leave this world and go in, when we leave this body and enter another body, the subtle uh, elements, mind, intelligence, and ego travel with us. So it's obviously not just physically, you know, it's, it's, it's a subtle thing. And, and so the mind, in one sense, pervades the whole body in the sense that, especially when we're dictated by the mind, right? The mind says, go get some ice cream, senses follow, right? Um, so we're, we're definitely, so the devotee, instead of being um, dragged along by the mind, uh, hears the Shastra, and tries to guide their activities through Shastra Chakshus, through the eyes of 
scriptures, through the instructions of the spiritual masters, through the teachings of the saintly persons. Did you want to add something to that? Yeah, so uh, you said something about commentary of Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur uh, on chapter six, something you mentioned with reference to that. I was trying to remember that, but couldn't quite phrase it properly. You mentioned his name, right? I mentioned his you name. Respect. What was it? Do you remember? What was no, I don't <laughs> okay, that's okay. Do you want to say something? Yeah, Prabhu, do you want to say something? Um, one, one thing that might help is that the mind and the intelligence are two different things. And oftentimes we apply them incorrectly. We expect the mind to do the work of the intelligence, but the, the mind's just to, to be made up, that we make up our mind to fix our desire on something. But then how to obtain that particular desire, that's all the work of the intelligence. So we should basically ignore the mind after we've decided once <laughs> that the right thing has been settled on and only focus our attention on our intelligence. That's fourth chapter. Yeah. See, the mind does only two things. The mind, like, oh, how many computer wallas do we have in this room? So uh, the mind is like a binary zero and one. Right? It's only, it, that's basically what it does. It's sankalpa, vikalpa. It accepts and rejects. Or para, avara. It's transcendental or mundane. It's, it's very much like that. Um, and, but how it accepts, the, the real culprit is the false ego. The mind protects the false ego. So whoever we think we are, the mind protects that idea of it. In so many, it basically accepts and rejects according to that concept we have of who we are. So if you think that the mind is hard to control, ever have, anyone have that experience? Only me? Okay. Um, the false ego is a much more powerful and subtle thing because the mind is a, it protects that false conception that was created by Lord Brahma that we read about in the uh, second verse. Right? So, it's, so that accepting and rejecting is all done based on what we think will give us pleasure and avoid pain, based on who we think we are. Right? So if we think we are a person that really loves heavy metal music, right? then our mind will accept and reject. It'll accept whatever, I don't even, Iron Maiden, and will reject Mozart. <laughs> right? <laughs> because, because it has this false conception of of who we are, right? And so even in different species, right? So we would not eat, the th uh, our mind would reject things that a pig would accept, right? Because of the different species. Yes, Jiva Tatrabhu. Hare Krishna. What's your mind telling you to accept right now? Go ahead. <laughs> it cheated, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Chanchalahi Mana Krishna, yes. So, I have the resources at hand, so I was thinking of seat of mind, and that became a curious point for me too. So State thinking, of mind? No, seat, seat of the mind. Of the mind. Yeah. So, yeah. So, in Shrimad Bhagavatam. Oh, it's sitting in places of lust. What is it? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, this particular, Shrimad Bhagavatam 2.10.30, it says, when she, I'm reading the translation. Yeah, go ahead. No, you're reading and the computer. No, go ahead. There was a desire to think about the activities of his own energy, then the heart. And within parenthesis saying, the seat of the mind. Ah, good. The mind, the moon, determination and all desire became manifested. And further elaborates in, um, elaborates in the purport, 
the heart of every living entity is the seat of the super soul, Paramatma, a plenary expansion of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Without his presence, the living entity cannot get into the working energy according to his pasties. The living entities who are conditioned in the material world are manifested in the creation in terms of respective inclinations inherent in them and the requisite material body is offered to each and every one of them by the material energy under the direction of the super soul. This is explained in Bhagavad Gita 9.10. When therefore the super soul is situated in the heart of the conditioned soul, the requisite mind is manifested in the conditioned soul and he becomes conscious of his occupation as one is conscious of his duty after waking up from slumber. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Very good. Okay, shall we go on? Going on to some sensitive topic now. Sage Kardama, husband of the great Devahuti, was manifest from the shadow of Brahma. Thus all became manifest from either the body or the mind of Brahma. O Vidura, we have heard that Brahma had a daughter named Vak, who was born from his body and who attracted his mind towards sex, although she was not sexually inclined towards him. So, then Prabhupada quotes uh, the ninth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Balabam Indriya Gramyo Vidvamsam Api Karshati, that the senses are, and the mind are so strong that they can bewilder even a very sensible, intelligent person. So, uh, therefore it is advised that one should not indulge in living alone with, uh, with even one's daughter, One's, one's mother or sister, vidvam samapikarsati, means that even the most learned person can become victims of sensual urges. Maitreya hesitated to state this anomaly, anomaly on part of Brahma, who was sexually inclined to his own daughter, but still he mentioned it because sometimes it so happens, and the living example is Brahma himself, although he is a primeval living being and the most learned in, within the universe. If Brahma could be a victim of sexual urge, then what speak of others? who are prone to so many mundane frailties. This extraordinary immorality on the part of Brahma was uh, heard to have occurred in some particular kalpa, that means age, when it could not have happened in the kalpa in which Brahma heard directly from the Lord the four essential verses of the Bhagavatam, which because the Lord blessed Brahma after giving him lessons in the Bhagavatam, that he would never be bewildered in any kalpa whatsoever. Um, but this is the key point. One should, however, take serious note of this incident. The human being is a social animal, and his unrestricted mixing with the fair sex leads to downfall. Such social freedom of man, and Prabhupada then starts commenting, because he was writing this in the early 70s when he saw the hippies and, and Woodstock and you know the whole thing. So a few, the, the key point for us is... Um, as Prabhupada would say, one of, my, one of my complaints about my disciples is they're not sufficiently afraid of maya. Right? And he would also say that I constantly pray to Krishna to please protect me from falling down. So that's Prabhupada. So, um, we, so Brahma is, actually, in one sense, in another place, Prabhupada says he's teaching us through his example just how careful we have to be um, about, uh, about not playing with the material energy, right? Sometimes it said, you know, that the opposite sex, one is butter and one is fire, 
If they come too close, the butter will melt, <laughs> right? Um, and it's interesting, I, in, uh, there was something called the Modesto Manifesta. Manifesto. Modesto is a city in um, California. And I think it was in the 40s or 50s. I did research it. I think it was in the 40s or 50s. Billy Graham, anyone heard of Billy Graham? Yeah. So Billy Graham was a famous Protestant uh, Christian leader. Famous, famous preacher, right? And um, he got together with, with some other well-known um, uh, evangelical preachers at the time, and they came up with this idea to avoid any, this is it, to avoid any, quote, to avoid any situation with, that would have even the appearance of compromise or suspicion, right? Um, and so they wouldn't travel or have dinners with, uh, you know, people other than their wives. Even uh, our vice president apparently has taken that vow, Vice President Pence, that he won't have, uh, go out to dinner with anyone other than his, uh, his, his wife. So the idea is, in general is that we should be careful not to tempt Maya. Right, the, uh, Maya is, is strong. It's interesting that this view also has come under some criticism, right? Uh, that, um, that maybe this is sexist, that, that, that people then are only thinking of people of the opposite sex, uh, opposite sex as objects of lust. Uh, so, um, or, or they said that, uh, that Jesus, you know, he uh, met alone with the Samaritan woman at the well, right? And we also know that um, Jai, Sisi Gornitai, Sita Ram Lakshman Hanuman, Shisi Radhamadan Mohan, that there was this uh, statement that Rupa Goswami wouldn't meet Mirabai, right? Because she was a woman, Prabhupada said this is bogus, that in our line, sannyasis can preach to ladies and things like that. So the, uh, so the idea is not, not to be fanatical, right? And, you know, a woman comes up to you and says, you know, what time of day is it? And you go, oh. right? Um, but, but just being, you know, just being sensible, just being sensible. Um, I know, for example, uh, my, my Guru Maharaj, uh, Burijan Prabhu, so he, in, I have a, a house in Vrindavan, and he lives upstairs in a separate apartment upstairs. And if any, uh, you know, lady devotee wanted to go see him and talk to him, he would say, fine, and he just would have her come with a friend of hers. Or he would ask me to go up with him, and he said, that way there's just no one, you know, there's just no question and no one thinks, oh, you know, right? It just keeps it really on the, on the up and up. So we don't have to be, um, you know, crazy about it. I remember when I was a brahmachari, I was a little stricter. One time I was at the airport and uh, this one a lady devotee picked me up and I saw that it was a lady and I was a brahmachari. So I, I was a station wagon and in those days there was like almost like, and I sat in the way in the back. And she, <laughs> but anyway, you know, I was, uh, yeah. Um, but the idea is um, that uh, the mind can be, any, Krishna says in the Gita that even one of the uh, sense objects that the senses focus on can sweep away the intelligence of someone. So we should be careful to not uh, flirt with Maya, uh, the illusory energy, because she has, just like Brahma has the thankless task of creating those five kind of illusions, she has the thankless task of uh, testing our, uh, our Krishna consciousness. 
And so um, Maya is strong, and, and you know, it affects other people. Just like you can understand that this, uh, what they call the Billy Graham rule, um, they, they came up with this idea because, and we've seen, right, in these mega churches, or even in ISKCON, but these mega churches, when, when, when one of the big pastors falls from grace, it just affects tens and thousands of people like that. So um, we have to uh, set a, an example. And if we're not that strong in Krishna consciousness, which we never should think we're that strong, we should just uh, uh, exercise some common sense, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, exercise common sense. Some thoughts? Gurudas? I want to <clears throat> preface this by saying I follow the four regs, especially the one you don't need we, onions we, and garlic. We, yes, Go that's ahead. right. Good. <laughs> um, but uh, it seems like having said that, <clears throat> it seems like the false ego in this particular case is uh, very, very uh, unruly on this point of, oh, oh be, you're strong enough, you can do it. It's a constant refrain that seems to be uh, you know, it's like it's like flirting with uh, disaster. Um, so I don't know how. So we should just we should be careful. The the, the main thing, and I, I know when my, when my wife was uh, in charge of the Gurukul, which is basically training brahmacharis, right? That's what her job was, and her main focus in terms of this was trying to teach the all the young men that you should uh, to respect women. Well, if you have respect for someone, you obviously won't think of them for your own enjoyment. And even that the, the brahmachari is taught to call ladies mataji. I mean, mataji is a, is a very respectful term. And so the idea of having great respect is, is, is appropriate. Like that. Um, yeah, so we should just uh, um, be careful of the material energy. And that's what we learned from Lord Brahma here in this, in this example. And, and, then, you know, he, and then he did repent. He gave up his body. He actually gave up his body uh, in the, in the um, subtle sense of it. Um, but he, you know, he, he repented. So, so similarly, if we have uh, inappropriate desires in our heart or if we make some mistake in Krishna consciousness, we should, uh, we should lament and then get back on track. Another trick of Maya is when we do something wrong and then we f meditate on it. We, our lamentation goes on and on and on and that's kind of the mode of ignorance. And what happens is you meditate, when you meditate on something, you become attached to it. So you meditate on whatever you did wrong and then you do it wrong again because you meditated on it. So the idea really in Krishna consciousness, you do something wrong, feel bad for some time and then pick yourself up and start doing devotional service again, right? It's just like, it's, you know, you, we, to quote the great sage, Frank Sinatra, ah. right? You know, <laughs> yes, <laughs> he wasn't a great sage. But, you know, you, you pick yourself up and get back in the race. That's what he said, right? I've been a puppet, a poet, a pawn, and a king. I've been up and down, and I know one thing, right? The, the, the song called That's Life. But you pick yourself up and get back in devotional service. And if, and if in the process of doing something wrong, you've offended another Vaishnava, 
then you have to make amends. You have to uh, beg the forgiveness of that, of that devotee. If, if we should be afraid of, the thing we should be the most afraid of in this world is to offend someone who is a devotee of, of God. And that, mean, that, that extends beyond the walls of ISKCON, and even beyond the walls of Vaishnavism. It extends to anyone who actually believes in a personal God. And in, in his Prabhupada's early lectures, in, in, uh, in his initiations, and he was explaining the first offense to blasphemy the devotees of the Lord, uh, he included uh, devotees of uh, Islam and Christianity and Judaism, etc. So that's, that's the most fearful thing in the world. Yes, this is the last statement. We're, we didn't finish this chapter, but we almost did. Hare Krishna. So you very nicely covered Amogradsa. It's another name for Lord Brahma because uh, once he was fully educated by the Supreme Lord, he is infallible in whatever we do. We yes. use the word Achyuta for Lord Krishna, who one who never falls down. Right. And Lord Brahma also has the name Amogradsa so on the same line. And Very when good. you were talking about fear, I was thinking of that. That Vaishnava Prad is the biggest fear, you know, as a Vaishnava, we feel that, you know, because that would cause aversion from Krishna's feet. Very yeah. mm. good. Thank you. Okay, so we will, I'll send out the, we pretty much almost finished this chapter. We had um, one more verse that I wanted to. Uh, Go over verse 34, so we'll finish that, and then we'll go on to chapter 13, lucky 13 in this case, um, next week. I'll be a little jet lag, but I'll be here. I'm going to Chicago in the morning, coming back in the evening um, on Saturday, but I'll be here on Sunday for the class. Yes, Prabhu? Are there scriptural references? as Krishna's mediating between two devotees' problems. Uh, well, in the, there's called Madhyama, Madhyama, which means like a mediator, is used in Gita and also in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. And of course, Krishna mediated between the Kauravas and the Pandavas. He was unsuccessful. So I have a better record of mediation than Krishna. Obviously, not really, and by his mercy. But yeah, Krishna was an unsuccessful mediator. <laughs> by his mercy, which was part of the whole plan. Yes. I'd have to think if he did other mediations. You could say that uh, it was kind of a mediation when they were deciding what to do with Ashvatthama. Yes, okay, yeah, Shakshi Gopal, he came and... Actually, I just heard Prabhupada telling that story yesterday. <laughs> 